I have my snare drum coming in out of Pro Tools into my fader. I have that uncompressed, unequed snare drum going to my stereo mix. Then the insert send, I send out to a gate. I send that through a compressor, then I send that through 1176. Then I bring that compressed and gated snare drum up on another fader and just tuck it under the uncompressed. Welcome to Recording Studio Rockstars. I'm Lid Shaw, and this is the podcast created to help you become a rock star of the recording studio. Hey, rock stars, it's your host, Lid Shaw, and welcome back to Recording Studio Rockstars, the show bringing you into the studio to learn from recording professionals so that you can make your best record ever and be a rock star of the studio yourself. My guest today is Jamie Tate a Grammy and Emmy award-winning recording engineer, mixer, and producer. Jamie is owner of the Ruckus Room Studios right here in Berry Hill in Nashville, Tennessee. Jamie works on records of all kinds, from writers publishing demos all the way up to Grammy-winning and number one chart-topping hits. And as you might have guessed, rock stars, Jamie is also a longtime friend of mine. In fact, we went to college together at Middle Tennessee State University and studied in many recording classes together. After school, Jamie and I went different directions for a decade or so until I ran into him again in about 2007 and discovered that he had taken over soundstage and opened the Ruckus Room Studios. So, of course, the first thing I did was hire Jamie to mix a record I was producing for an independent artist, Ryan Humbert, from Akron, Ohio. Jamie mixed All Souls for New Shoes, and I'll, of course, include a link to that in the show notes as well. I was seriously blown away by how good Jamie had gotten in mixing that I made it my mission to learn from him every chance I could get. So I'm glad that we get to dig into all the details even more today. Jamie has recorded many legendary artists such as Alan Jackson, Brooks and Dunn, Marty Stewart, Justin Moore, Thomas Rhett, and Billy Currington. His clients include major labels like Big Machine and Broken Bow Records, and up-and-coming Nashville artists Jordan Rager, CJ Solar, Ray Lynn, and Smithfield. And he regularly works with professional country and pop songwriters from publishers such as Olay, Seagale, Dan Hodges Music, Starstruck, and many more. I'm also pretty sure he told me that he had even mixed a couple of tracks on Taylor Swift's breakout record in 2006. At one point, he told me that his studio was so busy, they were booked a year and a half in advance. I'm psyched to be hanging out today with one of the hardest working engineers in music, joining you from right here in his studio, The Ruckus Room. Please welcome Jamie Tate to Recording Studio Rockstars. Jamie, are you ready to rock, dude? Yes. Yes, nice. <laughs> what kind of microphone is this? <laughs> Didn't know Fisher Price made studio mic. No, What's I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry, people. It was just a joke. I, I, I just want to point out that Lidge gave me this monstrosity of a cable. It's like thicker than my dink and sorry can i say that here <laughs> yeah i love it's it a, it's a clots Is it's that like right? swearing without swearing yeah right i'm 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 courteous and then he has this i don't know what the hell it is it's it's like a coat hanger wrapped in rubber yeah that's my uh, it, that's my microphone cable yeah no, no mine's a mogami mine's just oh, is like it a good mogami? Mo oh just compared to this I mean, this is like a, the john holmes of microphone cables here <laughs> yes, indeed. yeah i just it's like German. to see how how nice he is to his guests 
So um, that mic cable sounds pretty good, man. But you know, as we were pointing out earlier, musicians, it makes great musicians great. sound pretty good too. Yeah, great musicians do sound better than mic cables. So, um, Jamie, I'd like to have you kind of fill in some of the gaps on my long-winded intro there. I'm good at filling in the and gaps. I've got a good Speaking twist of John Holmes. You. I got a good twist for you. Speaking of John Holmes. <laughs> Sorry. What did starting out in recording smell like to you? Oh, it smelled like fear. It's the worst cologne ever. <laughs> I remember my first tracking session, I wanted to be anywhere else because I was just in the midst of a giant flop sweat. And yeah. then I was like, I just sat back and listened. I was like, wait, I have this under control. And it was all gravy from there. It was that great. was your first first engineer tracking session. Right? Yeah. And I was an intern. It was for Capitol Records. When I'm an intern and the engineer got sick, this is how you get your first job, kids. And I was ready to take over. I had done the, the setup the night before. The engineer, who was a dear friend of mine, actually, he was in the hospital with heart problems. And um, it was just stress-induced heart issues. But he called in, said he couldn't do it. And there I was. I got the gig. So training you as an intern was that stressful? No, no. Yeah. <laughs> it was Capitol Records. At the time, it was called Liberty Records. And the song went on to, the song we recorded that day went on to be number three. So Very, basically, you just don't mess around. Dude, that was so Do you so like how lucky. I kept my language clean there, that too? That was good. You said I decided, mess I had to pause, of, pause myself. Boop. <laughs> well, so that's interesting because I totally remember the first sessions that I got to do as a first engineer being so nervous. Like yeah. the night before, I couldn't do anything else. Oh, you have those nightmares of you just, you can't sleep because you're setting up eternally and then you're in your dreams and then you wake up. Yeah, and like you try, and, all over again. you try and do other things or interact with people the night before. Like I had a girlfriend at the time. I couldn't interact. It was yeah. just like... I might as well. If it was a one day session, I needed two, ED? two days. Is that <laughs> <laughs> engineering <My> disorder? <laughs> <laughs> That's great. The jokes are flowing today, kids. All right, we're just getting started, rock stars. <laughs> All right, so um, let's back up a little bit more. So tell us a little bit more about starting out. You know, we went to school. You came out of school. You had some pretty hilarious stories about. Um, I don't know. Obviously, we can't share names on this one, but I remember you telling a story once of being in a situation where you had, like, um, let's just say there was maybe an artist who had come in who thought that a recording session involved a lot more than just music. Oh, yeah. And her you had her to, initials uh, were... <laughs> we'll tuck her name away a little bit, so I won't say what her name was, but, okay, so my second professional gig... <laughs> actually, my oh, first my professional mix gig, this was before the tracking of that other record. I was supposed to be mixing three songs for the... Ten, a, I can't mention. Yeah, not mentioned a female artist. artist who started out when she was only sixteen. <laughs> um, anyway, she was on the same record label, and I was supposed to mix three songs for a box set coming out. And at like two in the morning, she came in. People pronounced her first name, which I can't mention, and she screamed the proper pronunciation. It was a hard A versus soft A kind of thing, and she screamed her proper pronunciation into their ears. Then she threw up in the corner. The whole session smelled like cheese, and she left. Wow. That's pretty intense, man. Yeah, and I didn't get credit on the box set, even though my mixes are on there. I've never even heard that story, actually. Yeah. Is that what you're talking about? No, no, I was oh. thinking of a different story. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> That's awesome. No, you had uh, you had one where like somebody came in, and there was a little pile of white stuff oh, on the that. tape machine. Or oh, something. I definitely, like, what's oh, this? So, oh, the other story was about, um, can I say your name? You can say uh, Tanya you Tucker, okay. This story, I, I definitely, it was a songwriter who had just come off a very, very large album with Eric Clapton. And he'd written Eric's kind of comeback songs. And the year before, 
And anyway, he he started drinking about nine in the morning and he did the about 10 o'clock in the morning. He started doing the John Lennon thing where he laid on the floor to do vocals. That's how sconched he was. They were just drinking wine. And then, you know, midnight or so, I go over to the analog tape machine. This is how far back it was. And I'm like, what is all this dust doing here? So I just, I just wiped it off into the garbage can. And he comes in, he goes, where's my stuff, man? I'm like, uh, uh, your suitcase is over, your briefcase is over there. No, man, my stuff. I'm like, I don't know. What are you looking for? Your lyric sheets? I don't know. My stuff. And he starts pounding on the tape machine. And it was, uh, it, it turns out it was cocaine. So I stopped the session. You know, I'm 21, an intern. And he called the studio owner the next day to complain about me. And the studio owner luckily backed me up and said he would have done the same thing. And the guy wasn't allowed he wasn't invited back to the yeah. studio, but anyway, yeah. I, 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 I remember was so that story. Naive. I was like, I how do you just remember that? Because I don't know, man. I just thought that was incredibly bold of you. Like as a twenty-one-year-old intern, you kicked this guy out of the studio. You're like, yeah. get out of here. Session's over. Oh, I was scared. You, know, I mean, I'm twenty-one, and I was afraid the cops were kind of come in and you know arrest us. Uh, and I was awesome. talking to somebody else who had um, done a similar thing with. Um, Richard Perry, you know, Barbara Streisand's producer and Neil, Harry Nielsen's producer. Okay. Um, you can bloop that out if you want to. Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, he said that he did the exact same thing. He saw some dust on the tape machine because that's where they keep the razor blades. I guess that's, right, you know. Right, good point. And he just vacuumed it up and Richard, I mean, the producer came back and was just pissed. That's so hilarious. And yeah, this is during, yeah. anyway, the, uh, interesting stories. We had a good laugh because it was the same thing. I'm sure it's happened to other people. Well, so. you know, my mixing console came out of Criteria oh, where it yeah. lived in the sev all through the 70s. And uh, the guys who I got it from, he told me a story about replacing the leather armrest. And he said when they took the old one off, there was like almost a quarter ounce of pot that just rolled oh. out and fell on the ground from yeah. all the joints that had been rolled along the edge of the console. You and know? all the seeds, did you have a bunch of seeds in there? Yeah, and, I think yeah. it was, you know, I, I'm I was a little disappointed that he got rid of it before I got the console, but you know, hey, you that's do a what different industry. That's a whole second industry for you. Lidge. <laughs> it's really... By the way, it's weird calling you Lidge because I always knew you as Eli. I know, dude. I know. You, you went from his name's Elijah, so it's not, he used to use the first part of his name, then he went to the middle, and pretty soon it's just going to be ah. I, no, it's so yeah. I just moved Eli forward one letter Lidge, right. and then I'll ah. have to go through Ija, but I get to end out my life as Ja. Oh, okay, good. Or maybe I, just ah. I was definitely going to bring this until I forgot, and then I definitely wasn't going to bring it, but the enormous Richard CD that I found oh, man, that's in right. the CD bin back in like 1993 that I had you sign, it's Dude, still on my, my shelf. Day, man. It's still on my shelf. You're so, awesome. rock stars, um, you know, you've heard about Enormous Richard because I had Chris King on the show, and um, the the CD, I think it was Answers All Your Questions, was that the one, or was it Warm no, Milk it was on Warm the Milk Porch? on the Front Porch. Right. So I that, would have known that even if you didn't tell me. I, that's, you I'm know, telling, you I'm know a, your record collection. Yeah. We'll have to come back to that too, because your record collection is pretty impressive. Why, thank you. And your mic cable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But uh, Rockstars, yeah. So I remember like back in class in school and Jamie walks in, he's like, hey man, I, I found your record and I bought it up it in, in Ohio. Cleveland. Yeah, in Cleveland. And he was, and you actually said you thought it sounded good. And I was like, the, I was like, holy shit. Snikes. <laughs> you really thought it sounded good? Thank you, man. You didn't like it because the guy who mixed it had just recently discovered a limiting amplifier was your word. Really? I yeah, I, I thought I that. mixed it. Maybe, no, maybe there's the, it the was mastering like a, guy. It was like an 8-track cassette or something, too. Maybe it was the mastering guy. Yeah, maybe guy. that was it. He, he discovered a limiting compressor or limiting amplifier. Yeah, I, don't I, don't limited. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to be limited. All right, so, Jamie, I like to ask guests on the show to share an inspirational quote to kind of kick us off. You got anything... Get us psyched about hitting the studio. Yeah, uh, this one comes from my mom, and her inspirational quote was, get that finger out of your nose. 
I thought you were going to say like, get out of bed. <laughs> no, uh, this may be cliched. I don't know. It's Joe Meek, right? Oh, uh, yeah. If it sounds right, it is right. I love that. Can you kind of give us a little bit of the Jamie Tate brief history of Joe Meek, who he is, oh, why so he's he important? Was this, uh, yeah, he was this in, interesting cat back in England in the 50s, late 50s, early 60s. He worked for, I think it was EMI, as a uh, just an engineer. And then he kind of developed his own sound, this heavily modified, heavily squashed, lots of tape delay kind of sound. And then he went independent. I think he may have been the first independent producer. He set up shop in his, uh, he had a flat on Holloway Road in London. I've actually been in there. Uh, anyway, he was somewhat schizophrenic. Some would say completely psychotic. There's this great movie about him. It's called Telstar. It's Do great you know flick. That there's a mural painting of him in East Nashville? Really? Yeah, there's, a, there's, a, there's a place, uh, Fond Object, I think is the store. Oh. And they've just got like a whole mural of Joe Meek right on the side. It's way cool. And it says something like, you know, like, trust your ears or something. Yeah, like, it's, yeah, yeah. Listen. He's, he did like this that. great record called Telstar. I mean, most of the stuff he did was absolute just cheese. But uh, he had horrible musical taste and was pitch deaf. I have many of his CDs, though, and he's humming demos. He tried to write songs, and they go something like this. And somehow they got songs out of those. But Telstar is this great instrumental song, and he recorded it. And years later, like 94 or something, they came out with these Joe Meek compressors. Yeah. Right, which I have. And he re- did they have anything to do with Joe Meek? Or? No, no, no. Some guy who right. claimed he once sang for him, who he didn't. It was later disproven. But it was just a marketing gimmick. But anyway, I, I started collecting the CDs and stuff, and the stuff was just really interesting, even though it was cheeseball. I was a huge fan of Jack Joseph Puig at the time. For, he yeah. did this Jellyfish record, Spilt Milk. I still think it's just, it's my favorite record ever made. But I called him at the time, the first Tonic record had just come out, and I called Jack, and he, ta- he was very gracious. He talked to me for about two hours, and I asked him if there's any gear that, new gear that I should be looking at. And he said the first Yomi compressor had just been released. And he said, get that. It's really cool. So I bought one. And uh, I have like serial number 10 or something. So Now, I remember that. You were using, I mean, like literally right behind your head. If I was to take a shot of you with my phone right now, in fact, Rockstars, I'll do it and I'll include it on this uh I have like notes, 40 you'll channels see, of Joe He's Meek got stuff. his Joe Meeks like right behind his head. Nice. There it is. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Live action photography right here on the podcast. Uh-huh. Um, on the so picture. yeah, the Joe Meek stuff sounds great. I've been using it's, the it's plugins quirky. too, even just like the compressor yeah. and the EQ both sound really cool. Yeah, they're interesting. Um, and I like to slam the compressor. And uh, yeah, and I had uh, uh, at the NAMM show, I just won a Grammy for something. And the guy who owns at the time, who owned Joe Meek. Well, he still does. Alan Hyatt from PMI Audio. Really great guy. He uh, he caught wind of it and offered me an endorsement deal. Nice. To which I got all these things really cheap. And Alan, I have not sold a single unit. I still use them all, just to let you know. <laughs> and then he was like, Jamie, I just need you to memorize this brief history of Joe Meek so that you can use EQ it. EQ Magazine at the podcast. time, they did a whole issue on Joe Meek, and I studied it. Well done. Yeah. Well done. Thank you for sharing that. That was cool. Now let's kind of spin it forward a little bit and then spin it back. How's that? Ooh. So you've done a ton of stuff, man. I like that you mentioned a Grammy of something as if like- you That was not some, a name drop. It was You get so many Grammys, you don't remember which one it was, right? <laughs> <laughs> but, I, uh, you know, you've done a lot of stuff. Let's kind of spin it back and humanize it a little bit. Uh, not everything's been roses for you. So 
Would you like to share kind of a story about an important failure for you along the way? Okay. Yeah, I have. Uh, again, I won't mention names, but you people would recognize these names. I was supposed to mix an album. Well, it was a country duo and someone who was very famous for being famous. She had a reality show and was in a movie, something Hazards of Dukes or something like that. Anyway, she was doing a country record and uh, and the country duo who was, who was working on their very last record before they split. Both of those I was supposed to mix and the record label got wind that I still use analog gear in a console. Oh, how dreadful that would be. And they said, we don't want him to do that. We would rather somebody mix it in the box. Uh, who? We don't care just as long as they mix it in the box. Obviously, these are people who don't know right from wrong or up from down. By somebody, they met the A&R guy there at the, the label. The A&R guy heard, yeah, he writes something on gear sluts or some other crap like that where, you know, you can only mix in the box now because analog is passe. People, yeah, they're so scared. They don't know. They just, they ride the fads. That's all this industry is. So anyway, I, I tore out my reception area in the studio, did about 30 grand worth of sound treatment and absorption and bought about, you know, quarter million dollars worth of gear to buy a big giant mouse called a DigiDesign. What is it? What is it? The D-Control? D-Control, D-Command. I don't know. I have, I have a D-Control and a D-Command and I can't remember which is which. I have one in each room. Uh, I have three rooms here. It's a hundred thousand dollar mouse, right? Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, so I put that in, being scared that I wasn't going to be able to work anymore. And then that fad quietly, quickly passed, and now it's like people who work on records must use analog consoles, and and people who mix in the box are just working on demos. I don't know if that's true anymore, but that's how it was back then. It flip flopped, so. I never quite got on there, but it scared the crap out of me, and yeah. I lost those two giant gigs. Uh, well, I remember that that eras because I was here making a record with you right That's when that right. was happening. You were just building out the room, yeah. And you said that, like, you know, it was that it was that story about like how you have to be in Pro Tools to be doing it right, and so you were like, but back then know. I was still on Radar, so I yeah, you were even... Radar, but mixing through the console. Why don't you talk about your mix setup, oh, okay. maybe then so and even now? I have a uh, it's it's an Otari console, but it's API designed. The EQ is just beautiful sounding, which is why I got the console. Has ninety six moving faders, has two EQ sections per fader, one for the channel, one for the mix path. It's a really easy console to get around. It's very very flexible. You can route anything anywhere. And I've just been using it for, uh, well, geez, since 1997. Yeah. Now, you didn't buy this console when it was first designed. And no, it was new, like right? 200 grand when it first came out. I got it from Belmont for 30 grand. They were getting rid of it. And that was 12 years ago when I opened this place. And now there's one, there was one on eBay for 4,000. So, wow. Remember when I said previously everybody wants to mix analog? That, that fad has passed also. Nobody wants analog <laughs> consoles. Fads come and go. Yeah. yeah. Whatever's happening. Actually, you know, the the real rule about fads is whatever just passed, get on eBay and pick up every single one of them That's when they're idea. dirt cheap. That's a good idea. Because they're going to come back again. Yeah. Whatever it is. I remember when we were first starting out in like late 90s, you know, Neve 1073s were just starting to come back, right? Yeah. You can get them for 1500 bucks Now they're worth yeah. like 7000 each. Probably. Crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe I should have kept mine. You you sold it? I had a 1079. Oh. I had to, you know, pay my mortgage. I've only sold one piece of gear, ever. Really? Yeah. What was it? Well, I don't want to. I, I didn't like it, so I'd, I'd rather not. But okay. it was a, a very expensive two compressor. All right. And I sold it because I didn't like it, so I bought another very expensive compressor that worked better 
for my work. Nice. So. Another Joe Meek, maybe. Oh, yeah. No. Well, cool. So how about sharing sort of a kind of an aha moment for you along the way? I mean, I guess going to Pro Tools and back to analog, maybe part of the aha moment was I see you got Pro Tools going now and you've got your console still. You know, how are you mixing now? What's Oh, what's it's, your... it's it's same as everybody else who still uses a console. It's a hybrid. I'm using more and more plugins as I go. I have a bunch of outboard analog gear that I've collected over the years, and I'm using less and less of it. The main thing, I, I doubt I'll ever give up my console just because I like when I'm mixing, I usually have seven or eight fingers going at once. Yeah. I, I, I like that intuitive thing where I just grab a knob. I don't have to click on a mouse. And there's something about, I know this has been debated to death. This might not even be interesting to anybody, but there's something about a console, the way it sounds, blah, blah, blah. Uh, I just think hitting it hard going in, there's something that it all meshes together and it has this light fuzz of this sheen of distortion and haze over it yeah. that makes it more movie-like. I don't I don't know. And there's something Maybe that's nice bullshit. about the top, the high end and stuff like that too. Yeah. Uh, do you listen while you're mixing directly to the output of the console or do you listen to sort of a digital capture of your mix while you're mixing? No, I don't. I should. I used to. I used to listen through my two-track you know, I used to mix through uh, a master link, you know, like all of us did right. through those ages. And now I, I print back the two tracks of uh, Pro Tools just so it's always there. It's always there with the session. But yeah, I don't and I should. I don't know why. I listen without compression until the very last. Yeah, let's pass. talk about that. That was one of the things you told me when I was hanging out with you. And I kind of remember I, I came and had lunch with you and really just kind of asked you a bunch of questions about oh, yeah. stuff. But you said... That you like to wait on the compression. Yeah. Until you, you so mixing, mixing is kind of. I love tracking, and I'm really good at it. But mixing is kind of my forte. It's it's why I get out of bed every morning and go to work happy because I really, really, honestly, truly love mixing. So when I'm mixing, I get it so I don't have to move a fader, and it's a good mix from the top of the song to the bottom of the song. And I will, if it takes me four hours to do a mix, three and a half of that will be getting my first pass. Of fader movements, you know, before I even start automation, I'll work and work and work until that, you know, just the flat, rough, no fader movement mix is damn near perfect. And then I kick in automation. I do one pass typically for the instruments, you know, guitar rides, that kind of stuff. And then I'll do one pass of vocal rides and then I'll put my compressors in and then I'll do one final pass of vocal rides. And then I'll listen and listen and listen. And then I'll, you know, maybe do one more pass of tweaks. And that's it. Nice. Well, so Pro Tools is kind of acting like a, a, tape, a tape machine. machine yeah. yeah. Um, and it's interesting to hear you talk about it like that. I, I remember you used to mix from radar through the console. When we were here, I remember you also telling me about, you know, you would do these high-speed sessions where you might have to mix seven songs in a day. And that was my whole life for yeah, 15 no. years. I, I mean, Nashville, it took you like 45 minutes to get a mix. Yeah, up Nashville's a publishing town. And when I wasn't working on Masters, everybody here in town, no matter who you are, uh, works on publishing demos. And they sound just like records, but, you know, you're mixing five or six a day. And it's they're glorified rough mixes. But I've had those I've had publishing demos go number one yeah. without me even remixing them. In fact, the Taylor Swift stuff, yeah. those are my publishing demo mixes. So I really wish, I begged, I begged the record label to let me remix them. And they go, no, they're great. I begged them. They didn't want to. So, oh, well. Don't, don't listen to those. They're, they're, don't, yeah, just don't. Yeah, I mean, like, That's, it's too bad not, that her career never took off as a result of yeah, your mixes. Yeah, I was like 24 <laughs> at the time. I was just a scared little dude. No, don't listen to those. I don't know what the hell I would, I was under pressure. <laughs> oh, man. Well, um, congratulations on that, and congratulations on all your successes. I know you've won 
a Grammy or Grammys and, and Emmy as well? You want to tell yeah, any of those? They're stories? in my closet at home. They're I can prove closet. it. Yeah, they are. <laughs> I have gold records and platinum records in my closet at home. I just don't like them. Not enough wall space. Uh, yeah, right. I, I like wallpaper better. No, I just don't. I, it's very self-congratulatory. I hate that crap. Do you? I love it. And it tends to date you. <laughs> it tends to date you. You know, I'm, I'm looking right now. There's one on the floor over there. It's the Newsboys. It's like, I know it's triple platinum now, but I have one. It's it's literally sitting on the floor behind a bass guitar and an old mandolin. I mean, you could uh, there could be something to the fact that when a client walks into a studio and they see an old record... Yeah, you know, in some cases they get turned on. In other cases, they may want to know what you're doing yeah. now or something. You know, yeah, but uh, this is Nashville, and you know the it's so image driven, modern country, you know, corporate Nashville that if you weren't on the last whatever record, then you're not hip. So really, yeah. So just put the last whatever record up on your wall. I do. I have them, but they're in the office. <laughs> I have three million, uh, uh, two plaques of three million sales for Thomas Rhett. How's that for a name drop, kids? Nice and it's, done. it's it's in the office because it's embarrassing to me. But I guess I proudly say it on the podcast. I don't know. Don't. Well, I mean, you do a lot of country music, and oh, yeah. you know, country is what it is in Nashville. But I know that your music listening collection is oh, old Beatles oh, records. So we're going on there. Yeah, yeah let's go I, there for a sec. Let's so talk I had about to move. Your, your, I have your home. I had a record or CD on every horizontal surface in our house, and my wife and I had to move. So. We designed a house. I showed the architect pictures of Abbey Road Studio 2. And I said, I want that with a house attached to it. So that's what I have. Nice. And the wall, it's like 30 by 30 with a bookshelf with one of those cool library ladders. That's on why it. all your shots on Facebook are like taken from the stairs looking down into the yeah, living room. Because right? I have this <laughs> stupidly large record collection. I'm just a music fan, man. I love music. I study it. I'm. I don't know if I'm a scholar, but the stuff I know, I know really well. I know every aspect of it. I know every sound on, you know, every Yes record and Beatles record. I know I know who produced it, who engineered it. I know, you know, all that kind of stuff. Who mastered it, all that. I'm just a fan. And what, it's What did you listen to this past week? This past week, I'm on a Kevin Gilbert kick. I don't know if you guys remember him from Toy Matinee, but... And nice. before that, I was on a Jellyfish kick again, but... I am a fan of it, which kills me because nowadays nobody has liner notes. Right. You know, I'm still old. I buy either the vinyl or the CD and nobody else does that. And th there are no liner notes. We don't get credit. I want to know who made this record that I have that I love. I want to know who mixed it. I'm curious about that kind of stuff. Do you see any solutions for that coming down the pipeline? Matt, when you buy stuff, shouldn't you get like some sort of digital booklet with it? Don't they do that on iTunes? I don't know. I've never bought a download, but uh, I have bought in some stuff off of HD tracks, right? They sell the 2496, 24192 right. stuff, which is a whole nother story. I don't want to get in the high res stuff because I think it's I think it's woo-woo, but they don't even give you liner notes. You're paying 18 bucks for a damn download and you don't get liner notes. You get like this low resolution picture. Hopefully they put the, like the song title in there so at least you know which one you got. Yeah, you know? and it's in damn flack, so you have to convert it. But anyway- well, uh, it would be cool to see all of that come back somehow. I've yeah. heard, I've heard rumors of it. Um, so have I. There have been petitions by the you know the angry seven engineers who are trying to right the ship. But you know, yeah, you know those guys who are always in the magazines. We call them the angry seven or angry eight. Angry seven. You know what Actually, I'm talking about? Massenberg and those cats. Well, They're was, trying to right the ship, but I don't know if it's. Yeah. Well, I mean, if anybody could do it, maybe they can. Yeah. I was just having a conversation with somebody about a new company called Dart Music which I think is setting out to try and, you know, 
recapture metadata and make sure that there's all kinds of information embedded right. in music, which could the, be a really cool thing. Yeah, and then and then you switch it to wave and you lose all that metadata. You know, it's yeah. bad. Like MP3 and ACC and even Apple Lossless and FLAC, they keep all that intact, which is awesome. Yeah, but you know, wave doesn't. I don't know. It's it's cool. A lot of people don't understand. That's a big issue. A lot of people don't understand MP3, AAC, FLAC. You know, they just don't understand. Enlighten us. Give us give oh, us the well, quick version. MP3. I've had I had a number one hit in Canada. The only version that the record company ever got for me, even though I offered the actual wave file, is the MP3. I emailed them for a mix approval, and when the greatest hits came out, they mastered that MP3. Wow! Can you believe that? And here's me going out of my way to contact the record label and say I have the actual real wave file, the 24 bit wave file. Never responded. And I'll sell it to you for five bucks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they did pay their bills, so they weren't trying to, uh, you know, avoid me. It's strange, but... Well, that's pretty intense, man. Well, so, yeah, Rockstars, the WAV file is the high-res version. You can typically 16-bit 44.1 on a CD, but it can be 24, 48, 24, 96, whatever you want it mm -hmm. to be. And FLAC and Apple Lossless are just data-compressed versions of that. They're lossless, too. So when they uncompress, when you unpack it, you You're get the full, anything. the full waveform. Yeah. Full wave file, I mean, not waveform. So those sound best. Yeah, they sound this. Yeah, you know that's the way you should be trading your files and MP3s. What about a 320 MP3? That, that sounds great, but it's still data compressed. It's an end. Uh, what do they call that? Nothing more can be done with it because uh, I forgot. The, there's a term that the scientists use. You know, it, but that is the last thing you can do with that particular file. You have to go back to the waveform. You can't make an MP3 from that 320 MP3 because it'll sound chirpy. Interesting. Because even though it's a high high bit rate mp3 is still you know three quarters of the data has still been thrown away you know when we were in school i was a member of aes at the time and i remember coming in and sitting in on meetings and they were discussing this new thing that was coming down the yeah. pipeline called an mp3 yeah i remember it was that. just being invented and they were talking about how it was a format that would basically figure out what frequencies were masked by the frequencies that were there and if they were masked it meant you didn't hear them so you didn't need them anymore they told us it was it was inaudible. Oh, no, no, it was the mini disc. The guys from right. Sony came and played the mini disc, and they said it was inaudible from the CD. So they played us. They tried to trick us, and they played us 10 audio clips. We had to guess if it was the CD or the mini disc, which is basically MP3, I think. What do we guess? I got 100 right. I got them all right. Nice. And they were going, how are you doing this? I'm going, you can hear the top end chirp. They hadn't had the codec down at that point. Yeah. Now it sounds okay, but. That's funny, yeah. Well, we certainly get used to it, and it sounds, I guess an MP3 sounds about as good as my Bluetooth does. Well, you know what? That's how I send out mixes for approval, MP3. Yeah. MP3 to me. That's the only thing they hear now. So let's flip it back to a little older technology. I know you're a big fan of vinyl. Ooh, what do you want to say about your, your listening with your turntable oh, and all that? And what I, do you have, like about it all? I love my vinyl record player, and it's vinyl, not vinyls. Uh, the plural of vinyl is vinyl. Okay. Yeah, I have a bunch of records. Okay. No, I, I love my turntable. I have this ginormous setup, blah, blah, blah. I spend a lot of money and I have a lot of records. Is it true that the technology that you had to spend money on for your home listening stereo is more expensive than the technology you have to spend on for professional recording? Mm, I, my turntable is 30 grand. I don't know. It's, <laughs> <laughs> my cartridge was five. My tone arm was 5,500. My oh, preamp yes. was 5,000. Uh, 5, yeah, the cartridge was 5,500. My tone arm was 5,000. My preamp was 5,000. 
Anyway, blah, blah, blah. I, have, I even had this cool vinyl vacuum record cleaning machine where you squirt it and scrub it. And Nice. Yeah. What about your speakers at home? Uh, at home, I have Genlex. Well, that same Genlex kind you have here? No, these are, these are the big ones or these are these smaller? These are the 80, Genlex 8050s. I replaced my 1031s with 8050s. Oh, I have, yeah, you used to have the big guys in here. Yeah, you know, they're the same size. It's just the newer model. Okay, these, okay. Yeah, I have Genlex at home and... A pair of what I mostly listen to are Sennheiser HD 600 headphones. They're great. Go out and check them out. They're, they used to be 400 I don't know. They're like 200 bucks now. Go yeah. check them out. They're exceptional. Well, I remember the first time I ever mixed on the little Gentle X, I was just confused. I didn't know what to do with them. But then when I worked with you here and you had these big self-powered ones, they really sounded great. Yeah, that's all I've ever used. I heard uh, AES show in 1992 or 93. I walked in uh, to the Gentle X booth and they had all the Gentle X speakers stacked up in this pyramid shape. And they're playing Toy Matinee record, uh, which I love. <laughs> and it sounded great in there. And, you know, they, they're kind of baiting you. They're like, okay, so which speakers are playing? And they pointed up to the teeny tiny little ones that was filling the whole room with this enormous, lovely sound. So I went out and bought a pair. And I've been happy ever since. Nice. So, um, What's your takeaway on monitors? Because, I mean, I know a lot of different mixing engineers might yeah, use different Yeah, some guys monitors. use stuff that just sounds absolutely dreadful to me. And some guys, I don't know, it's whatever you're used to. Have you found that mostly it's like whatever you get used to just allows you to sure. make the right decisions? That's right? right, as long as you know it. I mix on Genlock 8050s, very low volume. I mean, you could fart and it would cover up the music. Until that very last right. play when I put my compressors in, then I listened to it, you know, 90 dB or so. Still nothing that would slick your hair back. But most of the time, I'm listening to that, and I have a pair of old NS10s off to my left, stack one on top of each other, and that's where I do about 70% of my work because that's how most people are going to hear it. Mm -hmm. In the next room with it playing, you're not going to have that perfect stereo image. You're going to be off to one you know, one side, you're going to be in the kitchen washing your dishes or something. Right, you got one NS10 laying this way with the tweeter on the left, and the other yeah, one's that, on top of the tweeter to the right. That was just for design purposes. And it was, just gives you sounds like mono, too, Yeah, it's, right? it's my mono stack, but I don't push the mono button, so I don't get all that phase cancellation. Right, So, you know, yeah. my reverbs don't go away mm -hmm. in that, but it's still mono. That's how I mix. And I found that I get a wider stereo mix because of that. Because they're stacked on top of each other, whatever's panned in the center sounds louder. right. Because, you know, it's the 3dB gain when you double it. So I kind of mix that back a little bit, the, you know, whatever's up center, and I mix what's left and right a little hotter. When I move it over to my Genlex, which are right in front of me, it's this really wide stereo image. It's right, cool. and the stuff that's on the pan to the sides that's just been pushed hotter sounds initially maybe a little bit louder than you expect. Yeah, yeah, I usually have to, you know, I, I compromise from there on, but it gives me a good starting point. I like really wide stereo mixes. If When I'm panning stuff, it's either up center Hard left or hard right, and there's no in between. I just, the pinpoint stuff just sounds better to me. Now, talk about mixing at the low volume while you're working on your Genlex. So What's I was, the point of that? I saw Bob Clearmountain. He was working on something, and I just happened to be in the studio, and I've always loved his work. I'm a huge fan of his. Um, and he was mixing about that soft on NS10s. And he said, I was rude, I interrupted. Um, he, he, again, he was very generous. He farted in this control room and covered up the mix. Like, yeah, he was very generous. He, he he said, if everything sounds good loud, I'm like, oh, that makes sense. So I tried it. I had to really, really train myself hard to mix low. And now it's just, I can't mix loud anymore. <laughs> I mean, I mix quietly like, like this quiet, you know, very, yeah. very low. So. And have you gone back and listened to some of your favorite records in that volume too and discovered that they also sounded great? No, they, I mean, Clear Mountain, Chris Lord Algae, those guys, they just, they have mixed chops for days. They, their records just sound great. Yeah. You know, it, it doesn't matter what speaker you listen to them on. It doesn't matter what volume. They just, they just know how to hold stuff together. Yeah. I'm such a huge 
huge admirer of well let me let, let me throw out some names okay so there's this guy bob st john he did uh, remember the band extreme he did this record called it's extreme's third record three sides of every story it had this when it came out in 93 i spent the entire day in my dorm room listening to this record over and over and i'd never heard drum sounds like that before it blew my mind now he and i are friends on facebook the internet's a wonderful place for that kind of stuff he's this delightfully charming man and he's been very kind but he's since you know kind of told me how he did it all but it's this beautiful record and then chris lord Algy, i worship everything he does i recently got to a co-mixed record with him i mixed six songs he mixed six and it was just quite an honor do to we get that. to know what record that is yet oh oh yeah, Justin Moore. Last Justin Moore record. Okay, cool. Is that, and that's already out, so we can li- I can link to that. Yeah, yeah, notes. please do. Yeah, right. I, I'm really proud of those mixes. I didn't record it. Some of the recordings are... Just because you spend a lot of money at an expensive studio does not mean your records will sound good. Or, you know, some of those mixes, I had to really work with the tones to get them to stand up. It doesn't sound the same as if I would have recorded the tracks, but I'm proud of the mixes. The balances are right. So let's talk about that for a sec. You know, you've got this beautiful studio here. The drum set's in the same place it was last time I was here. I even see the same SM58 in the same spot, I think. And there's a thing that you've dialed in in your studio where you know how to get a sound. What do you have to say, or what do you want to talk about that ability to kind of record and mix and sort of dial it in like that versus getting stuff in from elsewhere and mixing it? Oh, uh, you know, actually, I love mixing stuff from, I love, love, love mixing stuff from other studios because it's a challenge. Some of it is um, brilliant, brilliantly recorded, but most records are made by, you know, the producer recording at home now. There aren't professional engineers recording these records. It's home studios. It's the guitarist doing the guitars. It's the producer doing the vocals in his house. And I'm talking major label stuff. This isn't just, you know, project studio stuff or indie stuff. It's a challenge to get some of these sounds to stand up in a mix, but it's it's cool, man. It, it makes you a better mixer. And some of those mixes are actually my favorite ones I've ever done because I had to really push my abilities and listen more intently than if it was something I recorded. So it's cool. I love it. But one thing I've noticed, not many people know how to record a kick drum. Right. I can tell how good the the tracks are going to sound by listening to the kick drum. Because most people put the kick mic too far out of the drum. Put it in the damn drum. What you, well, what? I remember when I brought you the record that I had recorded, the kick drum you mixed sounded great. And one of the things you said you were doing is, you know, it always stuck with me. You said you were pulling about like, you know, up to 12 dB of 250 right out of it. And yeah, it kind there's of gave a, it that thing. Do that cut sweep around somewhere 250 300 400 somewhere in there when you do that cut and sweep around those frequencies you'll hear right when it tightens up all of a sudden you get this nice solid thung, you know this thud with a nice top end and nice bottom end uh, my theory it. is that that's the resonant frequency inside the drum maybe, and that's why it builds you, up you can't record a kick right? drum without taking that stuff out toms are the same way you have to there's a dip in the lower mids you have to make for them to stand up and uh you know sound solid mm-hmm. um and i Honestly, when I record drums, I do that dip in the kick drum. I do that dip on the toms just to make them, you know, solid and not flabby. And everything else I record is I don't compress drums to tape. I think that's inconsiderate to the mix guy because it leaves them less options. Mm -hmm. I'm usually the mix guy, but in case it's going somewhere else, I want to be, you know, polite and let him do his thing to it. I don't EQ, you know, guitars, 57 to a mic pre. Just stick it in the right spot. You have a beautiful sounding uh, electric. Do you like compression on a guitar mic? When I mix. When you mix, but yeah. not when you're cutting. 1176. Um, 
I actually get down on all fours. I listen. I have them put white noise through their guitar amp. I move my ear around until I find the spot where it sounds the best. I put my finger there, and then I move the mic right in front of it. And that's how I mic a guitar. I've, it's never so failed me. You put your ear in the right spot, but wait, aren't you blowing your ear up? or do you? Put no, your... it's just, no, it's just they're blowing white noise. I have them unplug their guitar, but put their volume, you know, their volume pedal up. So it's oh, just interesting. A, so, so, sh- yeah. Wow. And you can move your ear around, and you'll hear where it's is a nice balance. And if it's off to one side, you have that fa- that comb-filtered sound because, you know, sound's coming from one side of the speaker, and you're closer to the other side of the speaker. You have these delays coming at, you know. So the sound is from the left side of the speaker is traveling further than the right. It's I don't want to get into all that, but I, there's a comb filtered sound on guitar mics. I just hate, and there's no way to get around it. It's just going to sound like crap. So, but if you use your ear and find that sweet spot, that's where it's it all kind of comes into focus. Just use a 57. That's what I, I mean, you could use whatever you want. Use a 57, turn it up. Great, done. Great. What an awesome tip, man. Uh, and I don't, I'm not a big fan of ribbon mics because they tend to, all ribbon mics I've ever used sound broken because the first thing you do is have to reach for an EQ. Right. You know, they're all brighten it up or something. Yeah, right. Why would I want to sound use something that's why would I want to pay for something that sounds like that? It's like making a tape machine and forgetting to put in the pre emphasis EQ in the circuit or something. <laughs> it's it, it's so that might have been a little little bit too uh esoteric rock. And, and uh, well I wanna actually since we're on ribbon mics, so overhead mics are used to get shimmer and sheen and clarity. And then people use ribbon mics which are the antithesis of shimmer and shine and clarity. And you know, when you use a ribbon mic on the overheads, you know what you're doing? You're recording the ceiling as much as you are the drum set because they're figure eight. eight. I just want to throw that out there. Continue what you're doing. Okay. (laughs) All right, rock stars. Well, you know, if you got a ribbon mic, you don't have to throw it away just yet, but... (laughs) (laughs) No, no, don't. Well, so let me see here. Let's jump into some stories about your studio too. So, you know, you took over a big facility and I like to think that you were still pretty young when you chose to do that. Can you talk about the process of making that huge leap with a business decision and, and the risk involved? And just tell us the story about going into that decision and doing that. I was working for a guy that, who literally down the street. We're in Berry Hill. It's a very consolidated area of studios. There's probably more studios in this one square mile than any other area in the world. But so he was, he was actually Pantera's dad. He just was, he hit a retirement age and we were literally booked every day for a year and a half. And one day I handed the mixes to the client. I said, see you next time. And the owner was standing there at the edge of the console and said, that's it. Studio is closed. And uh, I'm like, "Uh, we have two tracking sessions tomorrow starting at 10. Because that's it. Studio's closed. I've already canceled all our clients. So the next day I went out and called all the clients, told them to hold still, you know, and I went out and got bank loans for this place. Wow. So I had to, I, I didn't want to own a studio. It's a stupid decision. Don't own a studio. It's crazy. But you, so get the, even the concept of getting bank loans, I got to admit, that's oh, pretty scary, man. God. And I'm, I'm about as qualified to run a business as I am to do open heart surgery. It's... <laughs> Well, let's hope my whole heart holds out during this interview here. <laughs> oh, so when I was getting the bank loans, they, they said, what are you going to call this place? And I said, mighty ass recording, you know, mighty ass recording. And they go, not with our money, you're not. <laughs> wow, really? <laughs> so that's why I found Ruckus Room. And I'm like, oh, we love that. That's great. I'm going to, I'm naming the studio Unpaid Bills. Isn't that a good idea? <laughs> I also had a name called it Enormix, which I'm so happy I didn't choose. Enormix. Okay, that's the so Ruckus lame. Room. So. You go in now, how were you able to get, I mean, you know, we don't have to get too 
deep into financial details, but assuming that most people listening go, how the hell am I ever going to get a bank to give me a loan for something? This what, was different times. This is 12 years ago before the industry crashed, right? The industry crashed five, six years ago. Uh, the landscape is completely almost 100% different now. They just, this is Nashville and they were used to this. There's a bank down on Music Row that was uh, used to handling these kind of loans and they were perfectly accepting of me uh, wanting to start a studio, especially when I had enough bookings in the book. Is that right? Bookings in the, you know what I mean? Sessions booked in the book. That's redundant. Booking, bookings in the book is exactly what it took. Oh, uh, oh. Wow. That was awesome. We should write a song. <laughs> Don't nobody do it, use man. that. Uh, and they, uh, to pay off all the loans. I already had the bookings to pay off all the loans, so. Wow, that's cool. So yeah. you were able to just show, you know, that you'd done the due diligence or you had a business plan right. that looked legit. And I had clients come in. And in Nashville, it's strange. If you go into this, I don't know if it's the same way, but if you're a songwriter and have a song on the charts, you can go into a bank, show them the billboard chart, and they will give you a bank loan based on the chart position. Wow. Do you remember that? No, I've never heard that. that. I love yeah. it. So that they they were used Great to this. Stories. They were very very nice to me. Um, have you known anybody else? Well, I guess that's an example of somebody else doing something kind of similar. But have you known other people who were able to get a loan and open a studio based on you know the promise of the work yeah. that was coming? Yeah, yeah. There were several other guys. We all worked for different studios, and then when we went independent, there was one other guy. He did the same thing, and it was successful at it. That's great. So, Very cool, man. Well, thanks for telling that story. And it's a small community here. These everybody's we're all friendly. We all know each other's business in a, in a good way, and. It's a very supportive community. And the other guy I'm talking about, we were very supportive. He's now doing live sound. He had enough of the dealing with the record labels, yeah. which is a whole other story that... Yeah. Are you mostly doing work with labels or do you no, also work you know with what? independent artists? I almost quit the business two years ago, last year, a year and a half ago, somewhere in there. Make up your own minds. I don't care. I was tired of dealing with record labels. It's, it's the blind leading the blind. And people who don't know any better telling you how to do your job better. Everybody wants to be a producer and a mix engineer now. Everybody wants to be the one who shows up and, and changes everything. Yeah. I was getting notes, you know, mix fixes to change stuff, raise the third tambourine hit in the second chorus half a dB. Okay, thank you. Now it's a hit. Right. And there was one particular record. It was the last straw record, you know, and even the... <laughs> If I, if I told you the name, so of, the the name record, of the record, the last straw. it's something very similar because the artist and the producer had enough and they named it something like, you know, you know, uh, the last straw, but it's not that I, I won't say the record, but I almost quit the industry because there was so much bureaucracy involved in making, it's just music and they overthought everything yeah. and they micromanaged every fader move and every snare hits, you know, and then I mixed the record and the night before it was going to be mastered in New York City, at 11.30 at night, I got the, the president of the label sent me his mix changes. <laughs> <laughs> and one of the mix changes was, will you please put the kick pattern on this song back to the original way the drummer played it? I'm like, uh, does he not understand what mixing is? I pull up the fader. I don't change the pattern. I mean, these this is a real drummer. They're acoustic drums. I'm not changing the, you know, they're not programmed. That's funny. Wow. Um, and, and he micromanaged everything. The previous record, he micromanaged everything on one song, right? And we had to re-record the drums three times. We had to re-record the bass. Had to re-record the guitars. We spent so much time re-recording the song. And then he says, "Oh, can you do me a rough mix? I'm going to play it for blah 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 today. It's for some television network." 
I go, sure. And I sent him a mix I spent like 45 minutes on. And that was the mix for the record. After micromanaging every single aspect of the song, he used my rough mix. <laughs> and it, it did go number one. There you go, man. Yeah, see? Oh, man. It's not go my figure. Best Don't, yeah, it's not. Go figure. Oh, I hate that mix. So how long does it take to make a great mix? I don't know. Sometimes 45 minutes, sometimes eight hours. It's just, you have to figure out. I have this thing, you have to figure out what the song's about. It could be about the kick drum. It could be about the acoustic guitar. It could be about the damn tambourine. Who knows? Every song has something that makes it tick. And you got just got to find it. So You can't use presets if you have a, you know, a drum-heavy mix that ain't going to work for the next song because it's acoustic guitar-driven. Right. So it um, takes, Sometimes it takes a long time for me to shuffle these faders around to find that hidden heartbeat of the song. That's pretty good, hidden heartbeat. It is wow. pretty good. What, if, what advice do you I'm have for the rock stars? I'm going to that on a pillow. <laughs> <laughs> what advice do you have for the rock stars regarding if you don't know how long it's going to take to mix, what's the best strategy for saying how much it's going to cost to do a mix? What advice would you share about that? Oh, I don't know. I usually charge a flat rate because of that. I don't think anybody should have to pay for me becoming so obsessive over a mix. If I, you know, I charge a flat rate. So if I want to spend, if I think the mix is done after two hours, it's still the same cost as if I think the mix is done in eight hours or, you know, 45 minutes. When the mix is done, the mix is done. There's a good mix in those tracks somewhere. And when I reach it, I, you just you have to figure out when you've reached that point, And that's difficult to do. We have our 10,000 hours in several times over, so right. I know where that is. But when it's done, I'm, I'm good. I'm, you know, um, but sometimes don't tweak on it too much. Um, the what best about mixes, for, my favorite mixes I've ever done are the quick ones. What about for somebody who's maybe uh, starting out with this, you know, and maybe they are nervous about picking a, a cost that is going to be too high or something like that? Should they just start low and put the time in? Oh, it man, I don't know. I, I, I generally, if there's a t way to screw myself out of money, I will do it 100% of the time. So I generally ask too low, which is probably not the best. You know, I, I don't know how much further I'd be in my career if I asked for more money, you know. Instead of asking $500 a mix, I asked 3000 you know. I would be working a lot more on bigger projects. You know, okay, so there's this book, Freakonomics, and they had this this chapter in there about the block of cheese. They cut this wheel of cheese in half, and they priced one half twice as much as the other half, and the half that was, uh, you know, twice as much sold out sooner. So take that. Wow, yeah, really. Keep that in consideration. It's a tough one, you know. Don't under it, just don't undervalue yourself. If you're yeah. good, you're good. Yeah, don't true. Charge it. Right. True. Well, it's good advice. I still am, you know, teaching myself that advice. I've I've often we with, all are. with the wide variety of what people want in a mix project, you still defaulted to like, well, I just kind of charge. Yeah, hourly. whatever the budget allows. Yeah, yeah. They, they hate that answer. Yeah, honestly, like it doesn't help anybody. No, you it? lose gigs. Because, oh, whatever your budget allows. You know that that puts pressure on them to negotiate. Just tell them a yeah. price, and if they say that, they will generally say, mm, "We were thinking more like this," and go, "Okay, cool." That's true. That's good advice. Uh, that's what I've found. Yeah. All right, rock stars, take that to the bank. Or or not. <laughs> <laughs> don't charge too little because, you know, then they'll say, he was cheap, but at least he's worth it. You know, don't, they don't want that. Yeah. All right, so let's dig into some mixing stuff. Let's geek out for a sec. Um, one thing that I remember admiring about you and your mixing, I mean, your mix room looks the same to me now as it did, you know, 12 years I've ago. I've added a Stormtrooper helmet and Darth Vader helmet. I mean, in terms of like the racks in the same place, consoles, same place. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. Some of the same gear. But more importantly, the patch bay 
You're oh, not pulling patches in and out it's every cluttered. time. It's, I can't it's see everything's that. patched in and it stays that way. For the yeah, most when part, I right? track, I, I can I can switch over from mixing the tracking in about three minutes because when I track, I want it to sound like the final mix. You know, right. it gives the producer and client and and artists something better to gauge when they have something that they like if it sounds like the final mix. So I kind of the tracks are running through my mix processing. What are some things that help it sound closer to a finished mix? I don't compress drums going to tape, as they say, but coming back, I do my drum processing. I, you know, I compress the snare drum. I compress the overheads, blah, blah, blah. Uh, you know, the acoustics, blah. Uh, it, it just sounds like a final mix. I don't EQ much going to tape except the kick and toms. I let the microphones work for me. But you have to smash that two bus. Really? <laughs> yeah. So the needle's moving on the two mix Yeah, compressor? I mean, smash. I say 2 dB. You know, that's me smashing it. I love compression. I just, I'm a compression fiend. I use it well. Yeah, but if the tighter your mix is, the more compacted you have those levels to each other, the less compression you have to do to make it more effective. You know, I can compress a mix, a dB, or possibly a 2 dB on very loud peaks, and it sounds really compressed, you mm-hmm. know? And I mean that in a good way. I love the sound of compressed mixes. It's just really cool. That's why I'm such a Chris Lord Algae fan. Yeah. Dense and thick. Well, one of the things I really like about your mixes is the snare always sounds big and compressed and exciting, but it's not harsh. Yeah, I don't do a lot of EQ on my snare drum, but it's... Okay, so here's my snare drum. I read an article about Tom Lord Algae back in the day. He was mixing this record called Owsley. Remember him? Mm Mm-hmm. Um, I think he'd actually just finished that record when I worked with him. Really, really. It's a great record. Really great power pop. But anyway, so I have my snare drum coming in, out of Pro Tools, into my fader. I have that uncompressed, unequued snare drum going to my stereo mix. Then the insert send, I send out to a gate. I send that through a compressor. Then I send that through 1176. And then I bring that compressed and gated snare drum up on another fader and just tuck it under the uncompressed. That's... That's that's why I have a nice house. Dude, can you I make a snare Can you say that good. one more time? Okay, so bring up your your snare fader. Bring it up. Uh, oh, right. No, not too loud. Right there. Okay. All right. Hit the insert send. All right. Take a patch out of your insert send. Send that to a gate. Send that to a compressor on a slow attack fast release. Send that to an 1176 medium fast attack fast release on like a 4 to, or 8 to 1. Bring that up on another fader, tweak the high end up just a little bit, add a little 16K, add a little, you know, 7.5K on up kind of thing, and pull that up underneath your uncompressed, and you will have a rocking snare drum. That's awesome. So the sna- that parallel compression is oh, like I, I, doubled totally, up, right? Yeah, I totally skipped over the Tom Lord Algae part. In the, in the article, uh, Will Owsley was talking about how Tom had his snare drum on three faders. He had the attack on one fader, the, the sustain, and the release you know, on two other faders. And I'm like, that's kind of cool. I, I think three faders is a bit much. The fewer faders in front of me, the better my mix will be. But I can deal with one. So I kind of did this parallel snare drum thing. I also have my drums and bass parallel compressed. I brought it up and voila, there's my snare sound. Well, I've the cool thing it. about the multiple faders thing is you start to like paint them in like colors moving around. You yeah. Know? Yeah. You, you can just tuck it in. If you need that extra color or sustain of the snare drum or extra crack, you can just kind of tweak your attack time for it yeah it's great very cool man thanks for that tip what about vocals let's go to vocals for a sec share with us a cool way to treat vocals in a mix i like 1176s if i had 32 1176s i would use them all and everything i just really like them i have four 
six. I have six channels of eleven seventy six in my rack. Those look like newer ones. Yeah, right? they're just, who pack. Like who? Have cares you ever listened to a song? Go, oh God, that mix sucks. I wish they wouldn't have used the reissue eleven seventy six. Why did they use the? They have a vintage one of be nobody cares. This is song is the song great? Is it mix listenable? Who cares? I, and then when I run out of the hardware, I use I use the Bomb Factory. Nice, the BF seventy six. That is my that's my bitch. I love that thing. Yeah. That's that pumps and wheezes the same way a real eleven seventy six does. So you know, you're not the only one uh, bringing up the Bomb Factory too. Uh, awesome. I use that, and I use the EQ whatever EQ seven EQ three whatever the hell comes with Pro Tools. That those are. My, <laughs> I have twenty grand worth of plugins. I use the the standard Bog standard ones. Yeah. I don't use any exotic plugin. Uh, except the the red the Abbey Road Red channel, I love that thing. Oh yeah, I haven't messed with that yet. Yeah, it's it's lovely. The Waves Red channel, it's lovely, lovely. As my wife would say, it's beautiful. <laughs> um, this is what I want to ask you. Talking about tracking as if you're mixing and doing some parallel stuff, can that be done with plugins if somebody's all in Pro Tools? That, or are you going to get into some no, weird shit? No, that's why with... I still use analog gear. So all my yeah my final tweaks my final compression are the plugins but tracking it's all my hardware units right because you can get into some latency and phase issues if you try and yeah. parallel everything internally and that's another thing why is why is delay compensation not on one hundred percent of the time you know I'm still a little bit amazed and mystified that we it even turns have off to in the deal middle of mixes though all of a sudden my I'll have my you know. A snare drum that sounds like that. I'm going, what the hell? Oh, it's yeah. delay conversation turned itself off. Oh, yeah. Damn you, Evid. Yeah, I still run into weird stuff. I guess the one that catches me off guard, I have Pro Tools HDX. And I when oh, I, I first got it, I was recording some stuff. And then all of a sudden, I'm playing things back, and it's shifted in time. And I was like, oh, my God, yeah, what, what's going that. on? It freaked me out. I was like, are you kidding? This is like the nicest rig I've ever gotten myself. And it's not recording and playing back exactly right. And I think it was because I was putting stuff on the stereo bus. So that would cause latency. Yeah. You know? And if you mix RTAS and TDM plugins, um, I, I still use Pro Tools 8 because it would cost a lot for me. I have, an H, I have HD3 systems in all three rooms and it would cost me a fortune to upgrade. But if you use RTAS plugins and TDM plugins on the same track, it causes more delay to happen than if you use all RTAS or all TDM. Well, you know what they say at all the record labels down on Music Row now? You got to mix in the box or you're screwed. No, well, oh. it's all Pro Tools 9. Is it? No, I'm just kidding. Oh. <laughs> no, when, when, when it's difficult to find professional engineers as of like two years ago, last year, who used Pro Tools 10. If you get a PTX file, the only people with PTX systems were like rich songwriters. Everybody who was actually working, you know, in a studio a still used and Pro Tools 8. It right. <laughs> well, I mean, the takeaway there is just that same story I hear repeatedly. It's like our job as professionals is to be consistent and reliable and mm -hmm. do something well. So once we figure out something with what we got, it's stupid to change yeah, it. I got a rock solid system. I'm not changing, especially if it's going to cost me 15 grand per room. And you know, you 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 offer more value to your client by just making sure that it gets recorded and plays back and yeah, mixed than absolutely. whatever way that it gets done, you know. I think they come here for the jokes mostly. <laughs> you got one that you want to share? What's, no, what's the I, most common joke you share? I can't say it in mixed company. <laughs> But I do have a popcorn machine. I think that's also a large draw and a leg lamp from Christmas Story. Yeah, that, I noticed that over there. That I some get musicians shot. like to molest while another, they're here. Another live photo up here, Rockstar. So I'm going to get a photo of the leg lamp in the corner of the control room there. See if I can actually get it in focus. Um, was that a pun, by the way, when you said I can't say that in mixed company? 
Oh my God, I didn't even realize that. I'm so ashamed. I hang my head in shame for not, for, you know. All right, let's see. What else do I want to know? Let's, we talked about the stereo bus too. Oh, I have, on on my stereo bus, let me mention this thing. I have uh, Animod ATS-1 that I use. It's the analog tape simulator. It's, it's a delightful box. I remember when you got that. Did I mix Ryan's record through that? No, you had just gotten it. You told me, you said kick drums off oh. tape always had this fat thing and then you okay, got that so modeling and you put it through and there it was there was this my morning jacket record uh that michael bauer mixed and i asked him what he used to make that kick drum splat the way it did and i meant that in a very positive way and he said it was oh dude i mixed analog tape oh oh so greg the pendulum greg guy who owns pendulum he and uh Dave Amos, who was at Bomb Factory, they started this company. They have a copy of the Fairchild. It's called Analog Modeling. And I have their Fairchild 670 copy, and I have their analog tape simulator, and I run every mix through the analog tape simulator. It's beautiful. That's awesome. You can buy us a digital mix. Does that not blow your mind? (laughs) Oh, my God. It's so cool. It, It puts that crunch on your kick drum. It compresses it slightly. It rolls off the edges. It takes the burrs off. It's just and you put it on the two mix, yeah. but it still and treats I'm printing, the kick just it's right. The very last thing before it goes into Pro Tools, I'm using it like a tape machine. It's gorgeous. Nice, Buy man. one. Nice. It does. It does it better than any uh, plugin I've ever heard. Although not that I've heard all the plugins. That's just I stopped at this one because it does everything I want. Yeah. So, um, all right. Let's see. What have we not talked about in your setup here that you want to talk about? Anything? Anything in particular? Oh, I don't know what half the stuff does. So please don't ask any more questions. <laughs> Um, well, the console, for example, is it has recall. You know, it, yeah. it's got built-in dynamics and EQ. Yeah, I don't and use all those. The dyna- built-in dynamics suck, but yeah, it does have uh, total recall on it. Okay, so when cool. I mix an album, I usually just mix it, send up mixes off, and then we have a day of recalls if there are any. And there's this one guy who actually makes me recall every song on an album, and then after I recall it, he goes, "Oh yeah, there are no fixes on that one. Move on to the next one." <laughs> He's just making. He's just helping you keep your chops. Oh up. my god! What a yeah. So Rockstars, once again, the hybrid mix that Jamie's doing is Pro Tools and the computer are essentially a tape machine, and you'll pull out plugins when you want to. And I'm sure I you use, use some editing and and maybe some automation if you need it. Yeah, probably good if, for mutes, right? Yeah, my tracks are whistle. Okay, so that's one thing I want to go into. Pro Tools. Or any DAW, not necessarily Pro Tools. I use Pro Tools. We're in Nashville. It's a Pro Tools town, and I have to be compatible with everybody. So I don't use Logic or anything else. But you use whatever the hell you want. I'm not getting that debate. PC versus Mac. Who cares? Analog versus digital. Who cares? Shut up. Use whatever you want, whatever you're comfortable with. But when you're recording to a DAW, every edit needs a crossfade. The beginning of every sound file if there's blank stuff, cut it off and put a fade. You have to fade in because you can't go from, you know, nothing to room noise and then a, an instrument sound. It'll right. it'll click. Right. It'll click and you hear it. And here's the other thing, Rockstars, is what you're not necessarily noticing when it goes to a mixer like Jamie, part of his job is to make sure you can hear everything, you yeah. know, potentially. And so it's going to highlight all when these little details. I compress little and EQ it, and I clicks. bring it up louder yeah. in the mix than you've probably ever heard it. It's going to click, especially on bass tracks and drums. You have to put a crossfade in every edit and make sure the edits play cleanly. You know, you're not chopping off the beginning transient of the note. You know, if you stay in grid mode all the time, that's just death. What's a good method or a trick for rock stars to know about making sure that they can actually hear all those pops and clicks while they're cleaning it up if they're not already just, you know, well, with the when it doubt, put a crossfade. Every edit should have a crossfade and, and then you won't have a click. 
Um, no. I'll share one. Okay. Uh, this at least something that I'll do to simulate it is I'll throw like if it's a vocal track, I'll throw an Arvox plugin on it and just jack it way up. Yeah, when I so mix, really I'm adding like 30 dB of compression to these vocals just to make it sound like a record. And if there, if breaths are cut off, you know, if I really plump up my uh, my my waveforms when I'm doing vocal edits, and I always move edits to where the whole breath is able to be heard, you know. Every edit has a you know a crossfade. The beginning of the waveform it fades in. You know, even if it's ten milliseconds or five, it it won't click then. So, yeah. all right, cool. Uh, and, and a lot of people right now are Pro Tools engineers. They're not recording engineers. You know, indeed. The yeah. Pro, I mean, the Pro Tools techs. Let me rephrase that. Pro Tools techs are making records, not recording engineers. So you have to be. You have to keep things tidy in these DAWs because I usually spend two to three hours each song cleaning things before I even press play. Yeah. You know, I, just, I feel like one of you were one of the people I kind of learned about cleaning up the Tom tracks from. Yeah. Mute them. Don't delete them. Mute your Tom tracks and unmute where the Tom's hit. Do a fade in a fade out at the end of each Tom. Now, hit. why do you do that? So it doesn't click. You don't want it just to all of a sudden. No, I mean, why do you oh, do any editing to the Tom track in the first oh, place? It's the best gate in the world. You know, why do you want to get your Tom's? Because I don't want all that. Mm, okay, that's not the musical. The stain of the drum itself. That's not musical, yeah. Um, do you also notice that the crash cymbals usually come screaming through the tom mics? That's why you mute the tom track before the crash hits. Nice. So yeah. before that actual downbeat. Yeah, you, you you clean up the tom hit, and then you uh, you unmute the tom with a fade in. And then you, you make another slice, Command-E for those of you using Pro Tools. You do a little fade out, like right on the next kick drum hit. Done. So. Which Rockstars can sound a little bit unnatural if you just soloed the tom track. Oh yeah, it sounds ridiculous. But if you when you add the overheads in the room, it's it sounds you know the room covers up a lot of sins. Right. And the overheads, I rely right. on my room mic a lot. Let's talk about your room mic. You've got one of the mics out there is this kind of famous SM58. I see that's pointed away from the drums. What's the story with that thing? So I have my room mic. It used to be my like, talkback mic, so the musicians can communicate with us in here. And I noticed that it sounded pretty good. So I used to have my room mic really far away, but I have this mic like two feet in front of the drum set with the back facing the drums. Does that make any sense? So the mic is facing away from the drum set. As if you were a singer looking at the drums. Yeah, about to standing sing in front of the, the drummer, like two feet in front of the drums. And it's a cardioid mic, so we all know our cardioid. That means the the back, the sound is rejected from the back. It You know, it's something like, I don't know how many dB down, but it, it rejects it pretty well. So I have the mic in front of the drums, rejecting the sound from the drums, and the sound has to go to the far end of the room and then back to the mic. In essence, it's doubling the length of my room. I run that through an 1176, 20 to 1. I'm not being stupid with it. I'm 5 to 7 dB of compression, and it makes that double-length room even wider, bigger, and it sounds like a John Bonham recording then. Nice. Great. That's, and that's all I do to my room mic. I don't use nuke mode on a damn distressor. I use an 1176, and I don't touch it from there. That's it. Very cool, man. I love it. Nuke mode is evil. Nuke Ugh. mode. All right, rock stars. we're going to take a break here, and we'll come back in just in a moment for the jam session. Before you do, I want to remind you that you'll find links to everything we're talking about here with Jamie Tate. Lidge links. At the show notes at rsrockstars.com. And then just use the magnifying glass, search Jamie, and it'll take you right to the blog post. Also, if you were digging the music on the intro of the podcast, why that, of course, would be my record, Skadoosh, which you can find 
at skadooshmusic.com. What is skadoo- what is the sound that skadoosh is representing? <clears throat> is it like a fat lady? Well, it turns out right like after sliding I, on a wet floor. You know, I don't know why I said that. That's probably just offensive. after I'm we so thought sorry. that was a great name for the record. I looked online and it's like the the kung fu panda yeah, kung fu, thing yeah. or something. I was like, no, come on. I just thought it was like skadoosh. Skadoosh. That's usually the sound if you like fake punch yourself or something like skadoosh. <laughs> or like you, you hit the, you leap off a water slide the wrong way or something, right? Cardio pulmonary thump when somebody's having a heart attack. <laughs> skadoosh. All right. Lastly, rock stars, if you would like to get yourself a totally bad arse t-shirt and show the world that you are indeed a rock star, you can find that at rsrockstars.com slash t-shirt. You have a whole industry going, Lidge. I'm working I'm it, so dude. Proud I'm working of you. it. Oh, it got to pay for that oversized mic cable that you're talking into. It must impress the ladies. All right, Rock Shows, we'll see you in a sec. Hey, everybody, it's Lid Shaw, and I want to thank you so much for listening to this episode of Recording Studio Rock Stars. I really appreciate you, and I really appreciate your time. And as a way of saying thank you, I've created a special mix tutorial just for you, Rock Stars, totally free, called the Mix Master Bundle. With it, you get over two hours of detailed videos watching over my shoulder as I mix a song in my studio. Plus, I give you the free ebook that explains how I recorded the tracks, and you get downloadable multi tracks so that you can practice your mixes, including the Pro Tools session file, using nothing but stock plugins in Pro Tools, all of which you would find in any other DAW, whether you're on Logic or Studio One or Reaper. Maybe you're struggling with trying to improve your mix technique, or maybe you just simply don't have access to multi track files or can't record a full drum set in your studio. I wanted to give you a chance to create your own mixes from full drum drum kit, bass, and guitars recorded in my studio. The song is called American Winter, and it's off my instrumental record, Skadoosh, and it's all available for you totally free right now. All you need to do to get it is text Mix Master Bundle to 33444, and I'll send it directly to your email. Again, that's Mix Master Bundle with no space to 33444, or you can go directly to mixmasterbundle.com, enter your email, and I'll send all the files directly to you. Thanks so much, rock stars. We'll see you guys in the jam session. Cheers. Hey, rock stars, welcome back. It's Lid Shaw, and you're listening to Recording Studio Rock Stars. We're about to kick into the jam session with Wait. my guest today, Jamie Tate. Before we do this, when you process my vocal for the podcast, I would uh, request that you use only the Fairchild plugin. Oh, I'll for- do it, man. Yeah, okay, absolutely. thank you. Yeah, I promise I won't listen to that And I'll have mixed recalls after. <laughs> yeah, send me your mixed recalls <laughs> just anybody- before it goes live. <laughs> anybody have mixed recalls for a podcast? I'm pretty sure we did that this week, actually. <laughs> Cool, man. Well, so, Jamie, are you ready to jam? Come on, baby. Come on, do it. Yeah. So when you started out in recording, what was one of the big obstacles that was holding you back? Oh, I don't know. I kind of hit the ground running. Big obstacles was I wasn't mentally prepared, I guess. It just all happened so fast. I was, it was trial by fire, and I was really scared. So Yeah. We talked about the fear factor earlier. Yeah. Sweating bullets oh before God. a session. It, oh, my God. <laughs> And I, you know what? I have interns now, and I put them in that same situation because that's how it happened to me. I, there was I had an intern, and I, out of all the dozens of interns I've had, there was this one guy who showed promise. So I stuck him in a, a damn recording session, a vocal session with 
the guy, uh, the artist who had the number one song that week, and he was in way over his head, and he survived, and now he's a working engineer. That's great. Yeah. I love to do that with my interns, too, because I think that you know the industry has changed, and some of the high-pressure situations aren't there necessarily in the same way that they used to be, yeah. but I think they should be because that's how you learn the real value of what you're trying to do here with all this music. Mm-hmm. Music's so important. And man, dude, it's all about the song. If the song sucks. Who cares what plugin you're using? Yeah, true. And by the way, who cares what plugin you're using? We all have access to the same stuff. Never before has anybody had access to every tool ever available. It's not about the tools. It's about you know how you use them. I wonder if like handymen have arguments on uh, web forums about I use Stanley Hammers, and the other guy's going, "No, I don't use Stanley Hammers. <laughs> I use Craftsman." Who cares? Hey, man, when you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail anyway. Yeah, you can't build my house. You use Stanley tools. <laughs> no, audio people are so weird about that. Those True. are the reissues. I don't use those. Do the carpenters have record labels who won't hire them because I, they use the wrong hammer? I don't know. I'm sure it happens. And the other thing is when you go into the dentist, do you like come back the next day and go, man, I really want a filling recall on this? We have a weird industry here. It anyway, is pretty bizarre. Sorry, go on with your questions. Um, yeah, but when you go to the dentist and you don't pay the dental bill, collection agencies come after you, though. Yeah. That's quite a difference. I had a guy owe me 17 grand, and I had a collection agency go after him. This is recently, and he filed bankruptcy, and now I see him around town in a brand new car. <laughs> I never did have a collection agency go after the That was the only time, and it didn't work. Well, so now how about sharing some of the best advice? Maybe maybe that was it. Oh, advice. So ambition is far more important than most anything else. Show up on time. Know what the hell you're wearing. Uh, no, what the hell you're wearing? I don't know. That doesn't make any sense. Show up on time. Be ambitious. Um, the, the want to be in this industry far outweighs most any skill. You, you notice that? Because I'm saying even these records are being recorded by producers and you know, non-engineering people, right? So the the ambition is far more important than anything. Yeah. Meaning we should all be producers and just be recording and not know what we're doing. <laughs> oh, God, no. <laughs> we should stick it out. Oh, okay, you caught me. Uh, be great engineers. No, I, would, I mean, uh, most of the advice I get from people, too, is yeah. just that, like, you know... Um, so now you're telling me what the answer? Screw you, Lich. All right, no, right, no, no, ahead, no, no, go, go on what you're saying. What are you saying? Uh, well, no, it's just that, like, you know... Um, actually, I'm trying to remember the quote, and I'm uh-huh. below it, but uh, persistence outweighs talent every time. That's you know? what I was trying to... Edit that into my answer now. <laughs> That's what I meant to say. That's what I, I was just I was just interpreting. What I like I was that. Hearing. I'm going to embroider that on the other pillow. <laughs> nice. <laughs> you really need to have little embroidered <laughs> pillows. Throw cushions on your couch with little like um, maxims about recording. You know. Yeah. What's the difference between maxims and axioms? Are they both the same thing? Uh, I think one is owned by Avid. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so now how about a recording tip, hack, or secret sauce, something our rock stars could use this very day on their next recording session? Oh, uh, the snare drum trick I talked about. I think you should try that. That will, you'll either hate me for suggesting it or it'll open a whole new world for you. I don't know why I'm talking so slowly <laughs> on this. Give us another snare drum trick. Anything else? What, my snare drum's not good enough with that it's trick? pretty good, man. It's pretty good. <laughs> Uh, uh, okay. So I don't know my two mix, I guess I've always used an SSL compressor, the G series, not the XL logic. I don't like that one's too bright. Um, go find a G series SSL or the, the waves plugin is actually really, really accurate to my hardware. Slowest attack, fastest release four to one. 
do that about two dB on your compre- on your mix. It'll it'll tighten everything up. Yeah, nice. Um, and then you were saying, I think you explained it before that you will wait a little bit into the mix before you turn. Oh, on I the have the mix done. Yeah, and then and then I put my compression in. So and I'm not doing the compressor's not doing as much work. And, and then you still have to make some adjustments at that point. Yeah, and then the then it's you know adjust the taste, uh, you know, because maybe this guitar fill isn't loud enough, that kind of stuff, or you know, the beginnings and ends of vocal lines tend to be the last things I do. I, I have to write up the beginnings and ends of vocals. The, just the lines itself, because that's where all the that's where all the emotion is. You know, the uh, at the yeah. end of the lines, that kind of stuff. Yeah, or if the vocal like dips down in pitch and, yeah. and gets lost. In or the, the beginning of the line, you know, that kind of thing. Bring those up. Um, nice. But the, if you, yeah, if you compact your your instruments together well enough, if you have those mixed tightly enough, then your compressor doesn't have to do as much work. You know, one to two dB of compression with thirty millisecond attack and the fastest release on the SSL at four to one. Well be all you need to do it's great it's a beautiful machine i love so. it so now how about um sharing uh another favorite hardware tool or something that something physical that when you've got it on sessions recording and or mixing you're just always glad you've got it uh my rack of 1176s i love those things anything that's not even recording gear oh anything oh, on the left field a black friday two years ago i took my then three-year-old son into the toy store and he came out with this kick-ass lightsaber and I came out with this. It's a fart machine piano and that's how I tune vocals when I don't know what's what note they're going for. I'm like, is that an F or G? <laughs> and during sessions, that's how we find the keys of songs. <laughs> I love it, dude. That's great. I have a whole I have a whole accoutrement of, of fart machines. That's a fart gun from <laughs> Minions in here. It's a fart in a can, but it sounds like a little gremlin growl. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. We have that, fun. That if you're not doing this for the fun of it, why the hell are you doing it? Certainly not to get paid because we're not getting rich anymore. <sighs> you have to have fun. We have so much. I have a blast tracking. That's my favorite thing ever, tracking. Well, yeah, because there's other people in the studio. Yeah, there's eight other musicians looking at you, and it's awesome. The pressure's on you, and you, it's just so good. You share jokes, and you're hanging out with your buddies. It's I agree. Great. That's my favorite thing to do is to hang out in the studio all day with friends. Yeah, exactly. And you're making making music, you know? Even I if guess it's not just any friends. My friends who aren't musicians, I don't want to hang out with them all day in the studio. <laughs> <laughs> the studio guys, I've been working with them for years. You know, the Nashville studio musicians, they're the best in the world. And they're, they become close friends of mine. And I just love, I love working with them. Yeah. Every day they're here, I'm just smiling. Um. How about sharing a favorite software tool or something that you just want to tell people about? Oh, yeah. The, the Abbey Road Red plugin is awesome. It does subtle stuff, but it, it sounds really great. It has this great overdrive on it. You can, like, you can actually hear the tubes rattle in it. The other plugins I really love are the Bomb Factory BF76. Just, it's great. Use that. Don't, don't spend a bunch of money. Everybody has a copy of you know, 1176, LA2A, blah, blah, blah. Just use the Bomb Factory. It sounds, I almost said the F word. Fudge. <laughs> Sounds fun. Fun. That's the F word I was looking for. Uh, well, now, what about a resource for the business side of this? You know, many of our listeners might want to do this for a lot more than a hobby. You got I'm any, not. Any tools? About five years ago, this, this career choice turned into a hobby, unbeknownst to me. <laughs> um, what about, uh, what, what resource would be helpful for people as far as, I don't know, keeping themselves organized, invoicing, billing, anything? I have a stuff? studio manager, and he's my greatest resource. Um, he, he, I show up every day not knowing what the hell I'm supposed to be working on. He tells me, 
I'm not very organized. I'm the worst at returning emails. As Lidge will attest, he sent me like five emails. I, I just found out about him when he showed up. <laughs> uh, I'm the worst at returning phone calls. I'm For someone in the communications world, I'm absolutely horrible at it. I live my life through text messages, but mostly it's my studio manager. He keeps me up to date and he keeps my business running. I hope he doesn't leave me ever. But I don't know. Uh, how, how do you get new gigs? How do you get new clients? I, I don't know. They well, show up. Word of mouth is always a great place That's to start. It. I don't know how that... How, 25 years in this, I don't know how it's done. How about finding a studio manager? What tip would you have for somebody for finding Oh, I've been through them. Man, I, I went through like eight of them. Is this somebody who was doing it professionally and no. then you met them? or did He, you he was selling hi-fi gear in Chicago. Gear? And I knew him through a music collecting web forum. And yeah, he wanted to be a mastering engineer. He came down to visit. And I said, why don't you set up shop here? I have, you know, I had a room that was not being used all the time. So he started that. And I'm like, why don't you become my studio manager? It all kind of fell into place organically. And it's been the best thing I've ever done for my business. So for somebody else who feels like they can relate to you in another town, they might actually just find somebody that seems like they're well-organized. Yeah, a lot of people don't have enough learn how to do it. income, you know, disposable income for their business to to hire somebody like that. Man, it's going to be difficult. I they they use those the the Google Maps on their phone or Maps Jesus, uh, the <laughs> Google Calendar. <laughs> oh my God, I need a burrito. No, burrito me, Joe. All right, we'll wrap up here shortly. So, <laughs> how about an organizational resource? Now you, you sort of self admittedly remove yourself from email and things like that. But what do you use online to keep yourself organized? Organized? Yeah. I'm I'm not organized. Anything you like for just making sure your files are safely backed up and how you send them to people and that sort of thing? There again, Joe does all that for me. Yeah. One time I print a mix. I put it on a thumb drive. I literally throw it to him across the room. He catches it while I have the time and he emails it to people. Same with my phone. My phone rings. I don't even look who it is. I pick it up. I toss it across the room, maybe 15 feet sometimes, and he catches it. Well, that's 100% of the time so far. He's that's not been awesome. fired yet. I've, so he's, his job is to answer your phone for you. Man, keep my life organized. That's yeah. good, man. You got a good dude. I'm so fortunate. Yeah. Um, so, how about this, man? So this one's hypothetical. Hmm. Imagine you had to start I'm all this scratching over my again. chin in order yeah, to. Yeah, you need a beard like this to scratch. <laughs> yeah. I actually trimmed my beard last night. Yeah, you look good. You look, actually, you're a handsome man. I just thought I'd tell Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. <laughs> so do you. Oh, thanks. I'm married. Pack off. Yeah. Um, how about if you had to start all over doing this again and you needed a simple setup to record with, you had to find people to make music with or record, and you had to make ends meet, or you were giving the advice to somebody who's just starting out, what, what would you suggest? Oh, don't focus on the gear. All gear is equal kind of now. You know, just get an interface that, that has enough inputs for you. You know, you need eight inputs to record drums and find something with a few extras for guitars and vocals. And don't spend a ton of money, man. Buy some 57s. I would be perfectly happy if I had a whole session of 57s and a couple 1176s on a console. Any, you know, I used to do stuff on Mackie 8 buses, yeah. horrible boards, but I made great sounding recordings on them. And ADATs, remember those? Jeez. Yeah, yeah. Ugh, those are dark days. Um, don't worry about the gear, man. There's so many great mics that are affordable. You know, just worry about how you interact with clients. Make them feel special. Make the artist feel special. You have to be interested in their music because they can read when you're not. Yeah. And you have to be uh, aggressive to get, not annoyingly aggressive. Don't be douchey about it. Just, you know, become fans of the artist and they'll want you to record them. That's, you know, that's what I would say. And it doesn't matter where you record it. I did a, an album in a storage shed, you know, those monthly rental places. We did drums there and guitars and it turned out great. 
it's not about the gear or the place, man. It's about the musicians, the song, and the attitude. What about starting out? How important do you think it is to only do music and recording? Or do you think you can go deliver pizzas to pay your rent while you're trying to get into recording? I know a lot of people, songwriters especially. Some guy was delivering pizza up until the day he had three number ones in two months. Wow. <laughs> you know? All right. So don't let that be a, um, oh. an obstacle. Don't let anything be an obstacle. You know, every artist who has a hit record was probably turned on by every major record label at one point. You know, Garth Brooks turned out town. Yeah. Did, did I, what did I say? Turned up? I thought maybe you said turned what on. What the hell does that mean, turned up? <laughs> I'm going to turn up you for a record deal. Jeez. Yeah, Garth Brooks went around town a couple times. Jason Aldean went around Nashville. I'm, these are all country artists for all you people outside of Nashville. Went around town, was turned on by all the labels three times before he became you know, quote, legendary in town. So don't be deterred. But then again, if you're in a rock band and, you know, you're, no, and it's time to say stop. If you have a family you're trying to support. But, right. The touring can be the, the killer, you know, yeah. not being home. But yeah. okay, so now here's the last question. This one's, oh, is it over already? This one is also hypothetical. Ooh. We're going to take the studio way back machine here. Hmm. Are you ready? Do I need my Kevlar suit? You got it. Do you have a fart noise for the Wayback Machine? I can make one. I had a burrito for lunch. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we're going to go back in time. We're going to find young Jamie Tate Ooh. at the beginning of all this. Who's the handsome man over there? <laughs> and you're going to go up and tap yourself on the back of the shoulder. Young Jamie Tate turns around, looks at older, wiser Jamie Tate, says, what are you doing here? <clears throat> or get, get that fun out of here <laughs> and, and you you say i've come to give you this bit of advice here's the single most important thing you need to know to be a rock star of the studio yourself one day what would you say answer your phone return phone calls be better at scheduling yourself be more prompt returning emails uh just yesterday i missed mixing a gig for a big country artist because i didn't return the phone call quick enough wow so that, for, that, but that's more of a personal thing. That, I don't know if that would even go for anybody else. Except no, I, I feel like uh, um, I'm, uh, I'm. I usually have my Steve head Albini just shared that advice. I Seriously? Think. Yeah, I think oh, so. There you go. See, You're not alone. I wonder how far he could have gotten in his. Oh wait, imagine. <laughs> I think he, <laughs> he might have been, been saying that he does answer the phone though. So, oh, yeah, dang it. No, I'm I'm terrible at it. Well, dude, thank you so much for joining us this on has Recording been an Studio Rock Stars. I'm I'm so glad to talk with you and everybody out there. Keep at it, man. Uh, study those mixes. Study everybody else's work. Yeah, you listen, know? right? Figure out what you like and what you don't and make your stuff sound just like the way you hear it in your head. Here's another thing. Delivering pizzas and riding around the car, it's a great place to listen to a lot of music. You're damn right. And meet girls. <laughs> meet Isn't that girls. how every porn starts? <laughs> Hi, I'm here to fix your pipes. Here's your pepperoni pizza. Yeah, I'm here to deliver the pepperoni. <laughs> I don't know why I became Austrian all of a sudden. But <laughs> all right, man. Let our listeners know how they can find you, learn more about the Ruckus Room, and and uh, follow your music and and connect with you when they need to have their next record. Read my record funny next. posts on the Facebooks. <laughs> yeah, Facebook. Um, I'm the Jamie Tate on Twitter. It's at the Jamie Tate. And I have a, a website. I don't think I've ever actually been on it, but it's RuckusRoom.com. R U K K U S nice. Room. One word. I don't know. Uh, I'm out not there. Not to be confused with Rucus Room. No. Or yeah, Rumpus uh, Room. We're not a daycare. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Cool, man. Um, any last parting word on our way out the door? Uh, turn a kick drum up. Nice. <laughs> I think that was the same comment I had when we were mixing, uh, probably on at least one of them. I, was like, I have hey, a tendency to mix the kick drum, the kick drum way loud. Way loud? Yeah. There was a Black Crows record. 
that Mike Shirley mixed, and it was revolutionary. The kick drum was so loud. It sounds normal now, but back then it was awesome. Yeah. And I, uh, yeah, kick drum's loud. I like loud. That's what moves drum. the music. Awesome, dude. Thank you so much. We'll see you around the studio. Thank you, Lidge. See you. Peace. See you later, Rockstars. Thanks so much for listening to Recording Studio Rockstars. If you enjoyed the show and want to help make it better, please leave a rating and review on iTunes to help reach more people. You can click directly over to iTunes or go to recordingstudiorockstars.com slash review for an easy explanation. And if you want more free content, all you have to do is text RS Rockstars to 33444. Again, that's RS Rockstars to 33444. And I'll keep you in the loop with articles, videos, and podcast updates. And I'll let you know about any upcoming giveaway offers, all totally free. Thanks for listening. I'm Lid Shaw, and this is Recording Studio Rockstars. Now, go make great music. Yeah.